1: Now, here's your host, Radical
3: Russ Bellville. Good day, tokers and toquettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Thursday, September 1st, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. How are you doing today? How's, how's your last three days been? Uh, not so good on this side. Uh, let me tell you, I don't know what happened. I went out Saturday night. Uh, to the Duran Duran and Ice Cube concert. Had a really good time. It was put on by Pabst. It was the Pabst Music Fest or whatever, and uh, about the only thing you could get to drink quickly is Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer in a 16-ounce can. Uh, you could stand in line if you wanted something else, but they had all these uh, Pabst girls running around with the, you know, just case uh, like a like a cigar girl, right? But running around with, you know, uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer. So, what do you know? I ended up drinking three or four of those, and had a good time, but God, the next day I was just wrecked, and I've been wrecked from Sunday through yesterday. Uh, it was mostly the worst was Sunday and Monday, though. Oh my God, uh, cramps and and couldn't think, and I couldn't sleep. You know, cramps would wake me up in the middle of the night, and I diarrhea and no appetite. And oh my God, I've lost fifteen pounds, people. <laughs> I, I literally lost fifteen pounds over this thing. So. Um, uh, I've, I've been wanting some sort of diet plan, but I'd rather have one that's not so painful. My God, <laughs> but I'm back. Thanks for, uh, thanks for your patience. Thanks for waiting for me. And for all of you who sent well wishes, uh, along the internets, thank you for that as well. Uh, one of the, one of the downsides of being an internet content production machine is that occasionally the machine breaks down and needs some maintenance and, uh, I'll take better care of myself. Thank you for all those suggestions as well. I'm doing the best I can. All right, let's get to the marijuana because, my God, while I was out, there was a whole bunch of big stories that we've got to cover. Uh, Coming up in our Cannabis Radio News, we got some headlines for you uh, to wrap up what's gone on in Montana, where their medical marijuana uh, dispensary system is over, and where Phoenix, in Phoenix, Arizona, we are going to be voting on legalization. It's finally official. Little Rock, Arkansas, they got two medical marijuana things on the ballot. We'll tell you about that. Denver normals come up short in their campaign for pot lounges, but pot lounges aren't over yet. And we've got a bad cop in New Mexico to tell you about. Can't wait to tell you about that one. Also, in our behind the headlines segment, we'll get into more detail on that uh, decision by the Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals, which which has decided to affirm earlier rulings, uphold earlier rulings, that medical marijuana patients cannot buy guns or ammo even though they have a second amendment, apparently does not apply to sick people. So we'll tell you all about that coming up after the uh, headlines. Then after the uh, 420 break, we'll get into some drug war data mining, where my favorite data mine has been updated, the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. The latest figures are out. And these figures, once again, show that all these fears that the prohibitionists put out there about the terrible things that are going to happen if we legalize marijuana are just not happening. That's coming up in drug war data mining. At half past, we got an actress' agenda. I'm excited about this interview. We've got Norman joining us from WeedBlacklist.com. You may have heard of them last week uh, issuing the report that a large majority of the reviews, the dispense reviews on the site WeedMaps.com are fake. And we'll ask Norm about that and how they figured out what it really means. In the Radical Rant today, we'll explain how medical marijuana is not... Legalization. If these Ninth Circuit examples and other examples aren't enough to show you that medical just doesn't go far enough, I'm going to tell you why. Then in Hour 2, we've got a look at the price of weed in the legal states continuing to drop. We'll tell you how far. We'll also, in Hour 2, talk about some new data on marijuana and the workplace. Once again, discounting the fears of the prohibitionists. And we'll wind things up with a look back at Alaska and their attorney general coming out against private pot clubs. It's all coming up in the next two hours on the Russ Belleville Show.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
4: Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com.
2: Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and friendly, but building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website, think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at OrangeHillDevelopment.com.
0: Hello and welcome all you high-flying, die-trying, Philly blunt for your friend, hamsters, every roach-smoking, bong-token, however you get your THC can enthusiasts, all you rebels, individualistic originals, and outside-the-box ganja warriors, you chunky monkey, cherry-garcia, munchy loving hamsters, all you captive earth surfers, astral travelers, and ganja-loving canosaurs, all you high-flying, wide-smiling, ganjarific cannabophiles, welcome to everyone except Donald Trump supporters, because that's how I really feel.
2: The Gross Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com.
0: The Russ
1: Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. <laughs> hey, Mo!
3: Hey, <laughs> Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The Fingerboard Extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today. Or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. Medical marijuana dispensaries across Montana have closed their doors as new restrictions took effect Wednesday that limit pot providers to three patients apiece, leaving thousands of pot users registered with the state without a legal way to buy marijuana. The restrictions begin after five years of unsuccessful court battles to overturn the 2011 state law that rolled back much of a voter-approved law that brought medical marijuana to Montana in 2004. It is one of the most significant rollbacks by the 25 states and Washington, D.C. that allow marijuana to be used for medical purposes. Medical marijuana advocates estimate that over 12,000 patients are losing legal access to pot because their providers did not choose them as one of their three patients. Kate Cholowa, government relations director for the Montana Cannabis Industry Association, said, quote, everybody's shutting down. It's over. End quote. Phoenix, Arizona, a voter initiative to legalize recreational marijuana, will be on the November ballot after the Arizona Supreme Court on Wednesday rejected a final legal challenge to the measure. A lower court judge had thrown out the challenge, saying the group called Arizonans for Responsible Drug Policy didn't have a right to sue. The high court sidestepped the right to sue argument with Chief Justice Scott Bales calling the reliance on the 2015 rewrite of a law, quote, murky at best. And rather than wade into those waters, we turn to the merits, end quote. Justice Bales went on to affirm Judge Gentry's ruling rejecting the merits of the opponent's lawsuit, saying the summary substantially complied with the law's requirement for initiatives. The ruling means that Proposition 205 is on November's general election ballot. Little Rock, Arkansas. Arkansas election officials approved a medical marijuana proposal for the ballot Wednesday, putting two measures to legalize marijuana for patients with certain conditions before voters this fall. Secretary of State Mark Martin's office said supporters of the proposed constitutional amendment turned in 97,284 valid signatures from registered voters, exceeding the 84,859 needed to qualify for the ballot. Martin's office in July approved a competing medical marijuana proposal for the ballot. Arkansas voters narrowly rejected medical marijuana in 2012, and the prospect of competing plans has worried some advocates who say it could doom both measures. Both proposals would allow patients with certain medical conditions to buy marijuana from dispensaries, but differ in their regulations and restrictions. For example, the proposal that had been approved earlier for the ballot allows patients to grow their own marijuana if they don't live near a dispensary, while the latest measure does not. Denver, Colorado. The campaign by Denver Normal to put an initiative on the fall ballot to allow for regulated adult marijuana lounges is over after the Denver Election Division announced they failed to collect enough signatures. While Denver Normal turned in over 7,500 signatures for the initiative, which needed 4,726 signatures, election officials only certified 2,987 signatures as valid, meaning over 4,500 signatures were not from voters registered within Denver County. However, a broader initiative called the Neighborhood Supported Cannabis Consumption Initiative is still having its signatures verified. While Denver Normal's initiative would have limited marijuana to cannabis-only lounges, the other initiative will allow any type of business, from lounges to coffee shops and even yoga studios, to apply for a marijuana use permit with neighborhood approval. Kayvon Kalatbari, with Denver Relief Consulting, the group backing the initiative, says they turned in more than 10,000 signatures and should make the ballot. Grants, New Mexico. A police sergeant in New Mexico accused of stealing marijuana from his department has been released from jail. Grants Police Sergeant Rosham McKinney had been under investigation for six weeks following discovery by Grants Police Chief Craig Vandever of McKinney's lapel cam footage, which appears to show McKinney slipping marijuana into his uniform pocket, then later giving it to his girlfriend, all while driving his police cruiser on duty. McKinney is also charged with embezzlement of $785 cash and a half-pound brick of marijuana he never turned into police evidence locker. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, September 1st, 2016. I'm Russ Belville.
4: We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio.
5: The cannabis industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415 269 8015. That's 415 269 8015. Or visit CANNA management.com.
1: NORMAL stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take
3: a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we want to take a look at the terrible decision from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals that has decided to uphold bans on the sale of guns and ammunition from federally licensed firearm dealers to known medical marijuana cardholders. And this is something we've been through before. Here in the state of Oregon, we had sheriffs in southern Oregon that were refusing to issue concealed handgun permits to medical marijuana cardholders, citing the 1968 Gun Control Act, which says that federally licensed dealers cannot uh, sell or transfer arms and ammunition to known abusers of Schedule I substances. And the guidance from the uh, Department of Justice since 2011 has been that, hey, if you got a medical marijuana card, That's evidence enough that you are an abuser of a Schedule I substance. Now, when these cases came up in Oregon, some of our best Oregon attorneys, Leland Berger and John Lucy, fought this all the way to the Oregon Supreme Court. And the state of Oregon decided that we were right, that having your Second Amendment right should not be uh, lost because you get a medical marijuana card. But this Ninth Circuit decision looks to imperil that Oregon Supreme Court decision because the Ninth Circuit of Court covers... Ninth Circuit Court covers the nine Western states that include California, Washington, and Oregon. Not Colorado. That doesn't count Colorado. They're, I think, in the Tenth Circuit. What had happened is there was a woman in Nevada who tried to buy a gun in 2011 after she got a medical marijuana card. And the gun store said, no, not going to sell it to you because, you know, uh, you've got a medical marijuana card. We can't sell to known abusers, blah, 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 the federal rule. So she sued because she said... She's not a marijuana user. She says she obtained a medical marijuana card as an expression of support for marijuana legalization. (laughs) Let me call bullshit on that. Uh, I don't believe that for a second. I don't know whether that uh, matters as far as what the court's decision was, but that sounds like a bit of bullshit to me. But uh, she challenged this uh, rule by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives from 2011. And in a three nothing uh, decision uh, not the full Uh, Court just a panel uh, said it was reasonable 3.0 they said it was reasonable for federal regulators to assume a medical marijuana card holder was more likely to be using marijuana and in addition to that they said that marijuana use could quote raise the risk of irrational or unpredictable behavior with which gun use should not be associated End quote now if you want to go get a 12 pack of Budweiser head out the hills and shoot some cans up go right ahead but no, not your medical marijuana. That could make you risky. So the uh, there needs to be consistency on this. Obviously, he the attorney for the, is is going to appeal this to the full bank of the uh, uh, circuit court, a full panel. And if he doesn't get relief there, he wants to take this all the way to the Supreme Court. But I, I the other part of this that's frustrating is that the the, the Ninth Circuit. When she made her constitutional challenge, she's saying, well, look, I got a Second Amendment right to a to to a firearm. And this is where the 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 wording of the Second Amendment is going to get is going to get some gun uh, uh, advocates upset. And it's because the Second Amendment protects the right to keep and bear arms. Nowhere in the Second Amendment does it say you have a right to buy them or sell them for that matter. And that's what this Ninth Circuit is relying on. They actually, in their decisions, in their decision, said that this was not abrogating her right to keep and bear arms because she already owns some guns. And since she already has some guns, nothing's stopping her from keeping and bearing those. And there's no right to go buy more. And therefore, that 1968 Gun Control Act that says he can't sell the Schedule One drug users doesn't uh, doesn't have any bearing, doesn't have any uh, weight at this point. <laughs> she's She's out of luck because she already owns a gun and there's nothing in the Constitution that grants you the right to buy one. Now, my colleague Anthony Johnson at WeedNews.co has written a great piece on this called NRA, Where Art Thou? Questioning why the country's largest gun advocacy group that always complains that someday the government is going to put together a list of people. And confiscate their guns and take their rights cannot see that that is exactly what a medical marijuana patient registry has now turned into. The Ninth Circuit actually said if she wanted to go buy a gun, why, she could just let her medical marijuana card expire. They clearly, in plain language, said you get to choose between your health and your Second Amendment rights if you are in a medical marijuana state. And folks, that's not going to change So long as marijuana is a Schedule 1 substance. And we know it's never going to not be a Schedule 1 substance because it's a plant. So frustrating about this is that who needs a firearm for self-defense more than a medical marijuana patient? Someone who might be living out in rural Nevada trying to grow a few plants of their own. The fact that the NRA won't step up for this shows you how much they really believe in gun owners' rights compared to gun manufacturers' rights, doesn't it? All right, we gotta take a break. Be right back.
5: Maui Waui. Acapulco Gold. California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network.
0: Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download.
6: Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing.
0: Mention the synergy Jesus Show podcast on CannabisRadio.com. And don't try to debate me on something.
3: Motherfucker, I can't do many things well, but words
5: are my Shit. The Stoner Jesus Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at cannabisradio.com and stonerjesus.net.
1: Peace, bitches. This is Dan Michaels from DanMichaelsAudio.com, and you're listening to Radical
3: Russ on CannabisRadio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com.
1: Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy. Because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining.
3: Well, today in the Drug War Data Mines, we've got the latest from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health put out by the substance abuse mental health services administration and the centers for disease control. Of course, this data is very interesting to us because we've had some states legalize marijuana over these past few years and the data are starting to come in, starting to come in on the effects of that marijuana legalization. Just what exactly is this doing to our society? And you know how we've been uh, hearing from the prohibitionists for years now that marijuana legalization is going to cause all sorts of problems in America. For one, it's going to cause a massive increase in addiction. I get this one from the rehabbers. When, I, uh, when I'm debating people like Kevin Sabat or Dr. Christian Thurstone down there in uh, Denver, head of that big rehab clinic down there, I always tell them that they're against marijuana legalization because more than half of their clients are referred to them by the criminal justice system for marijuana. You make marijuana legal and there's only like 15% of the people that self-refer. If you're a rehab, the last thing you want to see is marijuana legalization taking away guaranteed clients. And the uh, rehab people say, no, 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 no. You've got it all wrong, Russ. Why? We should be for marijuana legalization because with legalization will come more access and with more access will come more use and with more use will come more addiction. With more addiction will become more need for rehab. Why? We should be for it. And if you ever thought that was a smelly load of bullshit, these numbers prove it to you. The latest numbers from National Survey on Drug Use and Health on Americans age 12 and over meeting the diagnostic criteria for marijuana abuse or dependency was 1.6%. 1.6% of Americans might be marijuana addicts. Guess what it was last year? 1.6%. (laughs) <laughs> Guess what it was a year before? 1.7%. So on 2012, it was 1.7%. Two years after we've legalized in a couple states, fewer people, fewer people are meeting the diagnostic criteria for abuse or dependence. In fact, that's the n- l- lowest number it has been in the past 15 years. It was as high as 1.9% back in 2004. The greatest decreases... Wouldn't you know it? Teens went down 37%. Young adults went down 18%. But, but wasn't legalization supposed to lead to a rash of teenage pot smokers? Bunch of these kids are going to be dropping out of school and having problems and losing eight IQ points? Apparently not. Legalization has brought the de- abuse and dependency rates down for teens 37%, for young adults down 18%. For 26 and older? Hasn't really changed. What's that I say? Legalization made things better for kids and kept things about the same for adults? Amazing. Now, there's some other uh, data in here that's interesting. They found that uh, only 11.9% of the people who used marijuana in the past year met any of the criteria for marijuana abuse or dependence. That number is down 30% since 2002 when it was at 16.7%. That's right, relatively rare, and getting rarer the more we legalize. 11.9%, a number that was as high as 17.5% back in 2004. So marijuana dependence and abuse are becoming less common, even though more people are using marijuana. Past month marijuana use is up 35% since 2002, increasing from 6.2% in 2002 to 8.4% in 2014. Rates of use increased among every group except teenagers. That's right. Marijuana legalization caused more adults to smoke more pot more often, did not cause any more of them to seek rehab, and found fewer kids having access, fewer kids needing rehab, fewer kids exhibiting marijuana dependence. Now, this is not just one study that's saying this. There's numerous studies that are showing the marijuana use is staying the same or going up among adults, especially those over 50, But the attendant harms that were promised for that are not materializing. We have uh, data here that show that heavy marijuana use, this is when they're talking about me, daily or near daily use, heavy marijuana use did increase sharply. About 2% of Americans were daily users in 2002. 3.5% of us are daily users in 2014. Now, yeah. Yeah. I can tell you that from personal experience. When I was living in Idaho, I was much less of a daily toker than I am living in Oregon with pot shops on every corner. Sure. And I'm an adult. I'm the person who should be granted that liberty to smoke marijuana. What happened with the kids though? Daily or near daily use among 12 to 17 year olds fell from 2.4% in 2002 to 1.6% in 2014. So once again, we find a situation where legalization is leading to more access for adults, more use by adults, but that access and use is not translating into problems. It's not translating into uh, dependence and the greater access and use among the adults is not tra- translating to greater access and use among the teenagers or harms for the teenagers for that matter. Everything the prohibitionists have been telling us would go wrong from legalization is not turning out to be true. How much longer can Project Sam, Kevin Sabet, and the rest of those guys keep up the facade? Year after year, the data keeps showing them that they are wrong. All right, we're back with our interview. Weedblacklist.com on the Weed Maps controversy right after this.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
5: How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com.
6: Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid
5: for this little guy. It's just too late.
6: What caused the problem?
5: Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke.
6: So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor?
5: Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders.
6: Less heat, more flavor.
1: You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
7: They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And
3: some, I assume, are good people.
1: Okay. Maybe you're high, too.
3: Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Bootcamp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootcamp.com.
1: Activism begins with act. The Russ Belleville show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda.
3: Welcome back, everyone, to the activist agenda. 32 after the hour. Radical Russ here. And we are on the line with Norman from weedblacklist.com. Norman, are you hearing me Okay.
8: Yeah, I can hear you. How about yourself? Can you y- hear me? Yeah,
3: you're doing great. This is—I I thank you for doing this. I haven't done a, a Google Hangout connection in a while, and it looks like it's going to work just fine. I appreciate your help.
8: Yeah, no problem. Thank you.
3: So, Norman, tell us about uh, the organization you're with, WeedBlacklist.com. When were you formed, and, and what is your mission?
8: Uh, I think it's like just a year now, as of this month, and uh, I, I made it as a public version of a tool that I made for myself uh, I was being taken advantage of by every delivery dispensary on WeedMaps because I was misled by their you know fake reviews so I made a tool that allowed me to detect which were fake based on IP address detection and that's what Weed Blacklist is it's a public version of that and it's scaled
3: wow okay so th- this was the uh, the big controversy that we heard about last week where your uh, your tool here has discovered what was it like 70% of the reviews could you tell us more about what you found
8: yeah, it looks it looks as if uh, at least 70% of the dispensaries out of the 600 batch tests we ran of the top, 300 deliveries and 300 top dispensaries, uh, 70% of those have at least one set of fake reviews. And I think it's uh, 10% have at least 100 confirmed wow. fake reviews.
3: And are these all uh, – do, do you all sense these coming from one particular source or a few different sources?
8: A lot of them are coming from – you know, the, the patterns show, as of recently, the new models I created this week, they show that about half of them are being created by friends of the dispensary or dispensary owners themselves, meaning there's lots of IP addresses. And there's some new data that I can't really talk about right now. Um, I'm still working on the models, but there might be some other evidence that shows other people doing it. So, you know, we, we might have another interview about that later, but yeah uh, right now I can just confirm that it's happening by lots of people.
3: Okay. Okay. So uh, this, of course, uh, made a big splash in the marijuana industry because a lot of people, uh, a lot of these dispensaries rely on weed maps and a lot of people rely on weed maps to find uh, information about this. For someone who's just, you know, who hasn't got this tool and is just looking at any website for that matter, what are some of the signs that tell you that this is a, a fake?
8: Uh, well, on Weedmaps, for example, a lot of the reviews are duplicates, I meaning you can see it's, it's someone posted the same title and body, you know, hundreds of times. And so when you have the IP address detection mixed in with that, it ends up pulling, you know, greater counts. So that's how someone could see it themselves. Um, but, you know, really, it's also about the usernames. People who are doing these reviews don't spend a lot of time on their username formats. You know, it'll be, you know, a name and a couple of random numbers. So, you know, that's how I, how I discovered it manually. And uh, after further investigation, I found the IP address vulnerability. So that's uh, mm. I decided to do something with that.
3: Now, has anyone from Weed Maps been in contact ahead. with you? What was that? Has anyone from Weed Maps been in contact with you about this?
8: You know, I actually tried to bring the idea to Weed Maps um, about a month ago, and I tried to offer it to them as with a business model. And so I tried to sell them a service that would filter their reviews to better their market. Yeah, and uh, there was there was a lot of profit potential in that, so I went and sat down and had a meeting with Doug Francis and a couple of guys with his team, and it was it was a great meeting. It went well, um, but yeah, they didn't seem to be interested in it. Well,
3: I I, I hate to have to make you speculate, but uh, uh, not interested because they couldn't afford it, or not interested because they really didn't want to get rid of fake reviews.
8: Well, I think they could afford it. It would have made them millions. I mean, the yeah. year one, it would have it would have made millions. So. I think the I think uh, I don't think they understood it. I, I don't. I really don't know. I mean, like you said, it's speculating. I really don't know. Yeah. But I, you know, I did that meeting and I followed up with a couple phone calls trying to get an answer, and didn't get one.
3: Okay. Now, are you looking at uh, applying this to any other uh, marijuana-related sites as a, as a consumer interest?
8: Well, you know, I have a big idea in mind. You know, we'd blacklist. The big idea for it before it was going to be a listing service was. I was actually going to be like a, uh, you know, a centerpiece. So all the listing services, I would validate their data, you know, kind of like Carfax or something like that. Sure. You know, Kelly Blue Book. And so yes, that you know, I did consider that. And you know, Weedmaps was going to be the first client, hopefully.
3: Hmm. And so, uh, if you can't get uh, them to go along with this, is this possibly going to evolve into your own sort of listing service that with with yes, verifiable so I'll, reviews?
8: I'll make that decision.
3: Yeah. Yeah. How is how, that going? Right is, is, it, is it tough raising the capital for that? How, how, where, where are you at right now?
8: Well, I, I don't need capital for that. I've got what I need. And, uh, you know, I'm a coder myself and I've got a couple other people working with me as far as infrastructure. So, you know, we're just doing it. Good. Uh, we don't we don't need investors. We need nothing. It's uh, we just hustle hard. That's pretty much how it goes. No, <laughs> no sleep, you know, endless hours at night.
3: So had you come from a, a, an IT background? Has marijuana been your background? How do they fit together for you?
8: Yeah, I became a patient when I was 15, and I started coding around the same time, and I became very interested in network automation. And so I've been using those tools to, uh, you know, those skills to, I guess, pursue, you know, entrepreneur ideas and, uh, you know, projects.
3: Is this problem, uh, you know, I don't know what to call it, review stuffing, <laughs> what, what, what we'll call it, faking. Uh, is this a problem that's uh, endemic to the marijuana industry, or is it something you're finding in other industries as well with fake reviews?
8: no it's definitely not you know it's definitely not i guess unique with this industry uh it's in a lot of industries but with this specific industry because it's smaller it's it's kind of a niche right now at least in my perspective you know a lot of people are faking reviews to get search engine optimization on their dispensary so that's kind of where it comes from is the search engine optimization google picks up reviews
3: gotcha so uh so we know that we're getting some fake reviews um do we have any any evidence of there being a you know a, a coordinated system of this of, of people actually you know paying for this uh any of the dispensary owners that have been caught doing it any any farther this could go
8: yeah you know the the data that i that I found this week with new models proves that there well in my eyes it proves it, but the a lot of the i p addresses look to be very similar meaning it um, it suggests that proxies were used. And considering that proxies were most likely used to make reviews on multiple dispensaries, uh, it makes you wonder who had the incentive to do that.
3: Yeah. Is, is anyone considering any sort of criminal complaints about this for fraud?
8: You know, I, I don't know if it goes that far, especially in this kind of, you know, marked in this kind of a gray area. But, I mean, it could be grounds for class action in some, some you know, some perspectives because millions of IP addresses were exposed.
3: Good point on that. Now you said you came about this project because you'd found yourself getting kind of uh, misled on some of these on some of these reviews. Uh, did you find anywhere, d- despite the fact that they were, you know, creating fake reviews, but they were actually a pretty good dispensary and didn't need to do that?
8: Yeah, you know, a lot of the dispensaries I personally use have zero fake reviews, no duplicates, no IP address conflicts, nothing. Okay. So it's one of those things where the ones who are doing it right really don't need the fake reviews. If that answers your question
3: yeah yeah it does and so uh, does your site weedblacklist.com, com keep a list of who's doing it right the ones that you didn't find fakes from
8: no it doesn't uh, for legal reasons I didn't I didn't think that was a good idea yeah but that was the original intention I had to modify that idea to uh, be respectful to weed maps you know that was, you know, I think anybody who looks at my website will see that that was at least a priority
3: Wow, all right. This is uh, remarkable. And you and was this just you doing this on your own? Did you have any help on this?
8: Yeah, no, it's just me as far as development and everything, and I I've got a now I have an infrastructure guy who helps me with, you know, scaling servers and everything. So, yeah, it's just, you know, three people right now.
3: Hmm. Fantastic. I I love these stories where, you know, some enterprising young person just has an idea and takes it to fruition. And I love what you're doing here to help us cannabis consumers out because I, you know, I I read those reviews from time to time as well and and how are you supposed to know whether it's a a real or a fake or who's putting that in there? So, it's an amazing public service that you're doing. Are there any other projects you're considering on that considering working on in the cannabis sphere that uh, are a little different than this at all?
8: Well, you know, not right now because this is kind of right up my alley. I haven't thought of – I haven't really thought of much else because um, everything – I don't want to do something that's just generic. Yeah. I mean, even even the listing service, that seems generic, but I found a, a unique way to present it to the patients. So, yeah. you know, I, I like to do unique things, but, you know, I, this security aspect is right up my alley. So that's kind of why I'm focusing on it. Yeah. The scaled abuse.
3: Do you see any um... – Is there any attention given to this uh, by the politicians in California? Uh, I know they've got, you know, that Prop 64 on the ballot and legalizations coming and they're going to have all sorts of advertising restrictions and such is, is there any uh, political will to address this as a problem or are they just going to kind of let it sit?
8: I honestly have no idea. Yeah. You know, I I would just be speculating. Yeah. I, I honestly, I think a lot of people look at this as not, not being that big of an issue. But the you know the patients and the consumers and the dispensaries who are being misled or you know the patients are not being treated right, I think they they have the biggest concern. I don't know if uh, there's any legal, you know, ramifications there.
3: Hmm. Okay, so we'll have to follow up on our side. But uh, Norman, this is an amazing story that you that you've brought to us because uh, I think this is the first time you know we're starting to see. You know, we had our first uh, pesticide lawsuits, and we had our first, uh, you know, we're we're getting the firsts of all these different uh, uh, landmark types of cases that are coming around. And the idea of getting, you know, quality data, quality reviews, being able to trust what we read uh, when it comes to these dispensaries, especially as more and more people, as legalization happens, more newbies are going to be coming into this, more people that haven't a clue, and we don't want to start them off on the wrong foot. I I really appreciate what you're doing, Norman. Uh, Tell our audience, if you can, uh, any of the websites or contact information you'd like to get out there
8: yeah so my website is weedblacklist.com and uh, my email address or you can email support at weedblacklist.com and uh, right now the website uh, because the ip address vulnerability was patched on weed maps the website currently runs uh, reports that detect duplicate reviews so you can see um, you know ratings based on that and uh, that will shortly become a listing service. And it'll be the first listing service that puts the patients first and also secures the dispensaries.
3: That's awesome. Weedblacklist.com. So people will just be able to type in their local dispensary and it'll pull up the information you have?
8: Yeah, they just copy the link off Weedmaps for whatever dispensary they want, paste it in the box on the website, and they get instant data. Well, not you know, it's not instant. It depends on the number of reviews because every report is fresh. But, you know, in a couple of minutes, they've got data that they can use to make an educated decision. Wow, that's great,
3: great stuff that you're doing there. Norm, thank you so much for joining us here on the show and telling our listeners about that. And uh, good luck with your future endeavors. I really hope this uh, takes off for you.
8: Hey, thanks for having me, Russ.
3: Yeah, you betcha. Thank you so much. Norm uh, from weedblacklist.com. Encourage people to check that out on the net because, uh, like I said, we need to have some consistency here. We need to have reviews that we can trust and there's going to be so many dispensaries and so many new recreational cannabis shops out there. It's going to be impossible for any one person to keep track of what's good, what's bad, especially as you travel. You're, you're in a new state. You want to head somewhere and get some decent medicine, get some decent service. You want to know that when you're looking at something on Weed Maps or any of these other sites that you can trust that it's an honest review, that it's a real consumer review. And Weed Maps and the rest of you guys out there in the industry, you really need to consider about having verifiable reviews. You know, think like Yelp or something like that. Your business model can't last very long if everyone thinks that you're defrauding them. All right, we're back with the Radical Rant right after this, explaining why medical marijuana is not legalization.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
5: Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network.
2: Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com.
5: Previously on the Stoner Jesus show.
7: Hello? Hey, uh, are you the one that put
0: the ad on Craigslist? Uh, was in the, the personal no. section uh, about, you know, want to have a little uh, have a little good time tonight? No. Nothing about, you know, any uh, backdoor action? No A fifth base. You're not into that. No, and I, I suggest you don't fucking call my son and my fucking perverted bastard. Are you, are you sure you're not the one on the Craigslist? You're talking dirty to me. Damn, she hung out. That was good. It was funny though. The Stoner
5: Jesus Show live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at cannabisradio.com and stonerjesus.net. Peace, bitches.
1: Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to The Russ Belleville Show is.
3: Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com.
7: We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one.
2: Pass
4: support
7: a change in law. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it. I didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs.
3: Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical Rant. Earlier in the show, we discussed the Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals decision that uh, federal firearms dealers do not have to sell guns or ammunition to licensed medical marijuana cardholders using the 1968 Gun Control Act as the excuse because it forbids the selling of any drugs, the selling or transferring of any guns or ammo to any known abusers of Schedule I substances. And, of course, as far as the federal government is concerned, marijuana is a Schedule I substance of abuse. To hell with what your state says. And a lot of people are reacting to this uh, in the cannabis community quite angrily. The idea that you have to choose between your Second Amendment rights and your health care is offensive to us. Nobody's taking the guns away from people that are you know, prescribed oxycodone, for example. But for me, I could see no other way the court could decide on this case. And what we're looking at here is the legacy of Harry J. Anslinger. Harry J. Anslinger, of course, the first uh, head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. You could think of him as our first ever drug czar. He served from 1937 to 1962. And Harry J. Anslinger... As evil as he was, and he was evil, folks. He he uh, chased Billie Holiday down to her deathbed of heroin, and uh, uh, you know handcuffed her to her deathbed. Basically, he's uh, read about Anslinger and Billie Holiday someday. We'll talk about that. But Harry Anslinger is a very evil man, but despite that, a very intelligent man, very smart man from the perspective of politics and policy, and what he did in helping to craft our drug laws was to create the single convention treaty at the United Nations. He basically got marijuana added to all the other narcotic drugs that the rest of the countries wanted to keep banned. And most of the other countries didn't want to ban marijuana. Most of them were like, what? Hemp? What? <laughs> Are you crazy? But at his insistence, he managed to get that through. And that treaty and the two others that followed it, that affirmed it and, and you know, made it stronger are written in such a way that cannabis has to be a Schedule I drug. If you're a country that signed this treaty, you have to control it in that way. It has to be either Schedule I or Schedule II. In in our terms, it's different terms in other countries. And our U.S. Constitution, as Anslinger very well knew, declares that treaties that we sign are the supreme law of the land. So we have to have the drug laws we have because of the treaties we've signed unless we want to sign out of that treaty. And so our drug laws are, are set up in such a way that cannabis is always going to be a Schedule One substance. Because our system, as we learned with the DEA's rejection of the rescheduling petition, is that we've got a situation where we're trying to fit a leaf-shaped drug through a pill-shaped hole. Our system of evaluating drugs and regulating them and scheduling them is designed for molecules. It's designed for consistent reproducible doses of a particular set of molecules. And cannabis is never going to be that. Cannabis is never going to be a consistent reproducible thing that you can put through double-blind placebo-controlled studies that the FDA wants. Because every cannabis plant is different. Hell, you can get two different buds off the same cannabis plant. And end up with different numbers in the lab. So there's no, that right there, right out of the gate, by definition, it cannot, cannabis cannot make it through. It cannot run this race. You might as well be asking an ice hockey player to slam dunk a basketball. Might be great at ice hockey. <laughs> it's not His skates aren't going to do him any good on the hardwood. Cannabis may be a great medicine, but it's not going to do us any good trying to get it through the FDA's regulatory process. It's not built for plants. Cannabis, of course, should not be scheduled at all. Cannabis should be in that same legal domain as alcohol, which is not scheduled at all, but actually could be. Alcohol is a reproducible, consistent dosage type of thing that could actually be in the schedule. But, of course, alcohol is culturally accepted and nobody ever thought to put it in the Controlled Substances Act. Hell, they'd already learned their lesson from that uh, alcohol prohibition they tried in the 30s, right? So we get this Ninth Circuit case that has to evaluate a law that says you can't sell the Schedule 1 drug users. And then a medical marijuana card that says, hey, I'm a Schedule 1 drug user. And the lady from Nevada, her argument that, no, 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 I just got the card just because, you know, for shits and giggles. <laughs> I'm not really using marijuana. I just got it to show support. Uh, Didn't really pass the laugh test for myself and probably not for the court. But the Second Amendment is is one of of many of them, almost all of them, that get affected by this Schedule I designation of cannabis. Our First Amendment rights, we have the First Amendment freedom of religion, but I have numerous, numerous fans who are religious adherents that use cannabis as a sacrament who complain that the natives get to use ayahuasca or they get to use peyote thanks to the religious freedom restoration act of 1993. And what that did is it said now, you know, the first amendment of course says the government shall not uh, make any laws respecting or uh, uh, promoting uh, uh, promoting or abridging the freedom of religion. We all have the freedom of religion, but what these, uh, 93, uh, the Restoration Act does, it sets up a test for the government where you have to weigh it on a scale, right? You have to say, well, the government has this compelling interest to bust people for drugs because the government's job is to uphold the law and we have these laws against drugs. So the government does have an interest in busting people for drugs. But on the other hand, people do have a right to their religion. So we have to balance it off. And we have to say, is this the least restrictive way that we could accomplish the government's purpose? Is this really necessary? Is there a different way we could do this? And here's what it boils down to. For the guys using the ayahuasca or the peyote, letting them have their freedom of religion doesn't really stop the government from waging the drug war. Because not a lot of people use ayahuasca and peyote, and they're not drugs of addiction or or Constant use, right? You use them for ceremonial purposes, religious purposes, once or twice a season, maybe, right? Not often at all. So if we let them do that every now and then, a few Indians, every now and then, we let them take their little magical trips. It doesn't stop the drug war because we can identify those guys pretty easily and not a lot of people use those drugs. But when it comes to cannabis and they try that same balancing test, what they find out is... Hey, a whole lot of people like cannabis and they like it all the time. If we let them start using religiously, everybody will claim they're using it religiously. And then we'll never be able to bust anybody for pot because well, that will show that uh, they'll just say that they're religious. And since half of the arrests on the war on drugs are for pot, you've just destroyed the government's ability to wage the war on drugs. So I guess in summary, the problem with cannabis is it's too popular. God told you to use a sacrament that was far too popular. Should have picked one of the less popular ones. (laughs) That's that's what the argument comes down to. And again, because of that Schedule I designation, because of that Schedule I designation, there's no problem with any of the Catholics that want to drink wine or even give it to their kids as young as seven years old. So long as it's for a sacramental purpose. So many of our other rights are taken away by this drug war, this this uh, you know, drug testing, you know, busting us and judging us by not by the content of our character, but the content of our piss. And none of these things I'm talking about. Your second amendment rights, your, your religious rights, your, uh, freedom from, uh, unwarranted search and seizure, your uh, freedom to not incriminate yourself. So many of these rights do not get fixed by medical marijuana. In fact, medical marijuana continues to kind of underscore the fact that it's illegal. Only through legalization do we start to affect these. And that's not going to happen immediately either. Just like we found, the Ninth Circuit Court here is going to start taking away the Second Amendment rights of lawful cannabis users in Oregon and Washington, California, Nevada, places with medical marijuana. Hawaii, Alaska, And, of course, you won't hear the NRA say anything about this. Don't uh, hold your breath waiting for the NRA's Wayne LaPierre to come on your TV and say, my God, there's a, a government list, and they're taking people's rights away from it. They're taking their gun rights if they're on this government list. Yeah, funny when it's a medical marijuana patient registry. NRA's got nothing to say about the big bad government list, huh? Yeah, we have to register you if you've got nausea and you want to smoke a joint. But if you want to buy a whole bunch of automatic weapons, don't register. Oh, my God, that's the worst thing ever. So much we have yet to do, so never think that this day is the last one. We will be fighting legalization battles until I die. There's a lot to unravel. Harry Janslinger had 25 years to set this shit up. Hey, stay tuned for Hour 2. I'm Radical Russ. For everyone here at Cannabis Radio, take care of each other, tokers.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show. The Russ Belville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at radicalrust.com. You take a scene, you plant it, you grow
7: it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plant it, you're growing, you're giant, you're rolling, you're you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down to earth. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years.
1: And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonza Graphics, the sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint, radical Russ Bellville. <laughs>
3: All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. It's hour two, Talk to Talk Radio live from beautiful Legal Potland, Oregon, where it's starting to look like fall. Yeah, we're getting back into those upper 60s, lower 70s temperatures. Gray clouds all day. This is about the time of year when all those Californians who moved here in like May start going, "Hey, what is this shit? This sucks." (laughs) <laughs> Wait till January, fellas. You're going to love it. Oh, so glad to be back. Thank you for being patient with me, folks. I'm sorry to have taken three days off. I know how so many of you uh, set your clock to come listen live and, and kind of rearrange your schedules around it. And I hate to leave you high and dry, but oh, my God, was I sick. Oh, geez. I have to be pretty sick to not do a show. Got to tell you, folks. Uh, this is show number, what, 829? Is this show 829? I'm going to go look in the... Uh Let's go look in the old uh, file folder there. I think it is, though. So it's not like I am, am, am want to lack to doing shows or anything. Yeah. No, this is 830. Show number 830 today. So, yeah, it, the, the only two things that will stop me from doing a show is if my brain doesn't work or my or my voice doesn't work. And neither one of them. <laughs> were, were, you can. I don't know if you can hear it. I still I still have a little bit in my voice I, just from being so sick. But uh, – <clears throat> It's not good for the vocal cords. But man, my brain wouldn't work either, man. I was having these terrible cramps and my head's all foggy and I couldn't type. I, literally having cramps so bad I couldn't type. My fingers were cramping up on me. I don't know what's going on with me, but uh, we're hoping it's over. And we're back here for uh, more of this marijuana news coverage because we are now in the home stretch, people. We are in the home stretch for election 2016. There's going to be a couple presidential debates coming up here. Not too far away. That ought to be entertaining as hell. <laughs> I see uh, uh, Governor uh, Gary Johnson and Jill Stein are still nowhere near the 15% they need uh, to make it to the debates. <laughs> and I, I just say that because uh, I got so many people that are, you know, going back to me doing my Hillary switch and all that kind of stuff that are still so, you know, strongly supporting Gary Johnson and Jill Stein, which is great. But I kind of think it's funny because I think. Jill Stein is actually costing Gary Johnson some of the poll number, some of the poll standing that he could use to get into the debates. Because like you add up the polls between Clinton, between Johnson and Stein, add them together, they're pretty consistently around the 15% mark. If they were one person, if they were Governor Dr. Jilly (laughs) Steinson, right, if it was one person, they could get that 15% they need to make the ballot or to make the uh, the, the debates. <coughs> so it's kind of ironic that for so many years, you know, we talk about the third party candidate being the spoiler for one of the two party candidates that this year, a fourth party candidate could be the spoiler for the th- for the third party candidate. That's just that's amazing to me, man. Uh, and, and of course, I don't mean uh, I don't mean any ill will toward. Uh, Stein or Johnson there's a lot in both of their platforms I agree with more than the two mainstream candidates but just like a marijuana legalization initiative that doesn't make the ballot it, it doesn't matter how great the platform is, doesn't matter how great the initiative is, if it don't make the ballot it don't matter and folks, I'm sorry but the math dictates that we live in a two party system now and the structure has been solidified We can hate it, we can work to change it, we can think it sucks, we can cast all sorts of aspersions about it, but it is the system we're in, and in that system, either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump is going to be president, and I sure don't want it to be Donald Trump. Anyway, a brief foray into the politics, we're going to go back into marijuana Right after the break, we're going to talk about the price of weed in legal states. This How is the Rose Show on
1: CannabisRadio.com. Every
5: strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. <sighs> Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and
7: pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com.
5: Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio.
0: You're going to be a great granddad. <laughs> Pretty cool. Morgan is Ray Dawn's son. Uh, Morgan and his wife Tracy, they've been trying to
5: have a baby for
0: quite some time. <laughs> Did you hear what I said to Morgan? What? Do you know who the father is? <laughs>
5: <laughs> the Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my
1: world. World. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
6: The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment.
1: Okay. Maybe you're high, too.
3: Hey, everybody. It's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel
0: awesome.
1: Most of us pirates, we go on vacation to North Dakota, you know, because they've got a town called Argusville. Ar-ha-ha-ha-ha. What are you smoking there, boy? This is Dan Michaels from DanMichaelsAudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on
3: CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. Nine after the hour here in beautiful legal potland, and we're taking a look at some finance data. This is coming from Business Insider. Jeremy Burke has written, The price of pot is tumbling in Colorado. Music to my ears. Uh, this is some data they got from Trative. Uh, Tradiv is an online marijuana distribution platform. Their director of sales, John Manlove, love that name, uh, has has said, quote, In less than a year, We've seen wholesale prices drop to nearly half of their previous totals. We've never seen prices like this. "End quote." And what are those prices? Well, last October, the cost of a wholesale pound of cannabis in Colorado was twenty-four hundred to twenty-six hundred. That price is down to fourteen hundred dollars to sixteen hundred dollars last month. Fourteen hundred bucks a pound. 1600 bucks a pound, folks, is 100 bucks an ounce. <laughs> yeah, we are starting to get those prices that low. And the reason why is we've got more and more growers growing more and more canopy. It's just simple supply and demand. We've got so much supply now that a huge amount of marijuana is hitting the market in Colorado, and the prices just keep going down. And this is a good thing. Now, I know growers out there don't like to hear this. I know people that are investing a lot of money into dispensaries don't want to hear this, but you better hear it because it's inevitable. At least in a place like Colorado, where there is no set canopy limit. Now, in Washington state, they do have a set canopy limit. And that just means that throughout the whole state, there can only be so much cannabis that is grown, so many square feet, 13 million or whatever the number is, but there, there can only be so much. But even trying to artificially restrict the supply is not working because in Washington State, they have seen the price of retail cannabis drop from anywhere from $20 to $30 a gram to an average below $10 a gram. Wholesale prices, $2.99 a gram. Three bucks a gram, workout times 28 grams, quick, do the math, (laughs) is not that expensive. (laughs) 70, 81 bucks, something like that. So legalization is quite clearly bringing the price of marijuana down and you're going to have public policy people like uh, Mark Kleiman who are going to be calling for canopy limits. Who are going to be calling for these artificial restrictions and they're going to call for it based on the idea that if pot gets too cheap, too many people will smoke it. Too many people will smoke it too often and we've got to stop them. For their own damn good. But this news coming out of Colorado and Washington is great for us consumers. And as we see more states coming legal, especially, oh my God, when California becomes legal. And they're starting out for the first five years of California, or till 2020, I think. First four years of not issuing any grows larger than an acre or 22,500 square feet indoors. They got a cap. They're not going to do any mega grows, unlimited size grows, not going to do any of those for the first four years. So, you know, some of the smaller growers can get themselves established after 2020, when you're allowed to grow as large a cannabis farm in California as permitted, and who knows how large that's going to be folks, we are going to see a drop in cannabis prices that is going to Take old hippies back to the day. Back in my day, we used to buy it for five bucks an ounce. You might get back to that day. Maybe not five bucks. There's still going to be taxes. There's still going to be fees. There's going to be a certain floor at which cannabis prices cannot drop any lower. But for these different states that legalize, trying to maintain their own canopy limits when they're next door to states that don't have canopy limits is going to prove fruitless. Washington state's got a big surprise coming up for it. As Oregon's grows, recreational grows, get to be licensed and start to grow. And once Californians come online, it's going to be difficult, if not impossible for any state to try to maintain an artificial marijuana economy. And the other thing that's going to be good about this, a couple of things. One Is that report that we just got from National Survey on Drug Use and Health talking about how despite the fact we legalized and more adults are using more often, more kids are not and fewer people are having drug addiction problems, having marijuana dependence problems for that matter. So Kleiman and his ilk, their argument about, oh, my God, if if the, if the, if the pot becomes too cheap, people will use it too much starts to fall on deaf ears. Because already the price has become much cheaper and already more people have been using it and already we're not seeing more harm. In fact, less harm. So what argument will remain to try to artificially restrict the canopy space? If adults are going to smoke pot, let them smoke pot. This is, is One of the things these public policy people don't get is they don't get that Marijuana leaves you alone. This was an old routine by George Carlin, I remember. I don't remember it exactly, but the basic idea, the gist of it is pot's the cool drug. Pot's Pot's your friend. Mary Jane's your friend. Like You want to hang out with Mary Jane? Mary Jane's cool with that. You don't want to hang out with Mary Jane? Mary Jane's cool with that. Cocaine, meth, heroin, they ain't so cool with it. Alcohol, they ain't so cool with it. They want you to hang out. They're that kind of pal that, you know, comes over when you don't want him to come over, doesn't get the hint when to leave, always wants to drag you out to the latest party. <laughs> that's, that's those kind of drugs. And, and these people, and, it's, and I don't blame them sometimes because really for a lot of them, the only deep understanding they have of any drug is alcohol. And so if your only, only understanding of drugs was alcohol – yeah, you'd treat pot the way these people are trying to treat pot. You even hear it in their, in their rhetoric when they talk about, well, you know, their, their, their reluctance, like, oh, well, alcohol, it's already culturally ingrained. It's too late. But why should we let there be a third drug? They've actually got the attitude that, that like we could prevent more harm by having fewer drugs and, and we've got to eliminate as much of that drug use as we possibly can. Because to them, it's as bad as alcohol and they see all the terrible stuff happening from alcohol, the drunk driving, the arrests and the abuse and the domestic problems and all the cirrhosis and death that we get from alcohol. And so to them, not knowing what pot is or what it does or how it affects people, I can see why maybe they think it's so evil and it needs to be restricted because they can't differentiate. They they have no idea. You know, it's like, it, it's like if your only exposure to a dog had been a, you know, one of Michael Vick's beat up pit bulls that attacks you on site, you might be skittish of pit bulls from that point on. And, and with, uh, with drugs, the drug that's legal alcohol, if you could make the list as like, if, if we could start over, if you could start over and the goal was let's pick the, the worst drug for society and let's make that one legal, you'd have picked alcohol. That's the one that would be, we couldn't have picked a worse drug to be the legal drug. So that's the snarling, angry pit bull drug that these people have their first experience with or first under or only understanding of. And so when the nice, calm, loving pit bull called marijuana comes up, they think it's the same snarling dog. And that's what leads them into this irrational thinking. But data is going to beat them out on that because this is why we've always been on our side is because we smoke pot and we know it's cool. And we know even the guy we know who was a little too much of a stoner, right? Just a little too much. Even that guy ain't a drunk, ain't a tweaker. He's not causing serious problems to other folks. He might not be achieving everything he can in his own life, but it's not the worst thing you've ever seen, right? So we know, we've been smoking for so long that we know that even the worst stoner out there isn't really a problem to society, and there's very few of us that are those kind of stoners. Most of us are the guys that, like I did for years and years and years, got up early in the morning, went to a nine-to-five job, got done with work, came home, and loaded a bowl. Corporate stoners. There's a lot of us out there. There's a lot of you out there. And so we're going to get more and more evidence that backs up what we already know. These great headlines that are going to come out from the Washington Post and USA Today and New York Times. Can you believe it? Another study says this and that. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we believe it. That's, that's quite obvious. We're going to continue to drop this price of marijuana. We're going to continue to get not just a lack of the bad predictions coming true, but a surfeit of good Unintended predictions coming true. We're going to talk about that in the next uh, segment. Some uh, data on marijuana and the workplace. You know, that old canard about uh, oh, pot smokers are lazy. It'll cause unproductivity in the in the workplace. We'll lose productivity. We're going to talk about that. And all the other things that we're finding. I mean, my God, we none of us predicted that there would be a decrease in suicides in medical marijuana states. None of us were or few of us were predicting there would be less uh, opiate overdoses. I mean, we were saying, yeah, you know, it could help people in pain, but we're getting all sorts of good news out of cannabis that a lot of us that are even huge proponents of it weren't expecting. And that's why it makes it difficult. Some people ask, you know, when do you think it'll finally be legal? And you have to first pin them down on what does that mean? You know, what does finally mean? All the states completely legal, no marijuana crimes at all. I may never live to see that.
7: It all goes to show
4: you that it's always something.
3: Ah, That breaks my heart. Of course, you know, we lost Gene Wilder uh, to Alzheimer's disease this week. And, of course, Gene was so in love with his third wife, Gilda Radner, who died of ovarian cancer. Two of the funniest people we've ever seen Taken by something cannabis can help. Happy 420.
5: We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network.
6: More
7: flavor. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do.
4: For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML. Or visit their website at NORML.org.
1: The Russ Belleville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil, mature, and free from excessive profanity. If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards that you can visit. You're tuned into the Rush Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com.
3: All right, welcome back, everybody. Hope you all had a good 420 break. So we were talking earlier about uh, corporate stoners. I was one for a long, long time. Worked in IT, wore a suit to work. I taught corporate audiences. I taught people in suits while I was wearing a suit. Like suit squared. But there's some interesting data that I wanted to cover. Uh, A new study, new research from the Journal of Health Economics. And the question here is whether or not legalizing marijuana is bad for the workplace. This, of course, is from the... uh, Institute for a Drug-Free Workplace, who says, quote, The impact of employee marijuana use is seen in the workplace in lower productivity, increased workplace accidents and injuries, increased absenteeism, and lower morale. This can and does seriously impact the bottom line. Well, no. (laughs) First of all, I was one of those employees, like I said, working there. And I was one of the most productive employees you could possibly ever want to have. I've got the reviews to show it. I've got the time cards that show me clocking in early and taking off late. I've got the work that shows working through many lunches at my desk. I was a dedicated and productive-as-hell employee. And I resented every time someone would bring up the drug-free workplace argument when I could look outside my workplace and there was a shelter because we're in Portland, Oregon, right? Rains a lot. There's a shelter out there built with company funds for the tobacco smokers. They want to sit and tell me that my pot smoking after work is somehow a productivity drain when these people are taking 20-minute breaks every two hours to go smoke out in some shelter that you paid for. So, yeah, don't give me the productivity argument. The accidents and injuries part, no. No. I don't see that. Increased absenteeism? No, we don't see that. Lower morale? Hell, some jobs suck so much you have to be a stoner just to be able to handle working at these places. It's not like they issue a whole lot of uh, brownie points with the paper hat, right? You Do you like fries with that? But there's this new study. It's in health economics. Uh, An economist uh, from uh, University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee wanted to know what medical marijuana laws did to employee absenteeism rates. So there's been some study on marijuana just in general on this. There was a, a, a 2014 paper, and this was just on illicit marijuana use, right? Everybody's pot use. Found that most marijuana use has little effect on workplace productivity. Little effect. Chronic or heavy pot use can be a problem. But yeah, here we're talking about somebody smoking all the time maybe not able to handle as well. But they say on that, the paper concludes, quote, it is simply uncertain as to whether there are negative labor market consequences of drug use in general and cannabis use in particular, end quote. That's that's more generally speaking. This new research from the guy from University of Wisconsin took a look at what happened in medical marijuana states and what happened to their sick days according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics' current population survey. So, what happened? When medical marijuana was legalized, did more people get stoned and call in sick because they just too high to go to work? Or did people get relief from their medical conditions and actually were able to show up to work more? Well, they took a look. And what he found is in the 24 states that had legalized medical marijuana at the time of his survey, absenteeism, sick day use, dropped 8% among all workers, down 8% compared to the other states that did not legalize medical marijuana. And they found the effect was more pronounced in the medical marijuana states that had laxer laws, more relaxed laws, like a California you had fewer sick days than, say, an Illinois, right? They found it was 13% lower for the workers in the lax medical marijuana states. So what that kind of suggests here is it's not just medical marijuana that makes the absenteeism go down, but greater access to it that makes it go down. I think... There's employers out there that think a whole lot of people fake their sick days all the time, and they don't realize that most people don't want to have to use a sick day unless they really need to, and that for a lot of these people, the use of medical marijuana can take from them the need to use Oxycontin or some other horrible prescription. I can't tell you how many stories I have of people who got off horrible, horrible regimens of prescription drugs only to use cannabis. And therefore, the side effects from all those terrible prescription drugs, the side effects which were causing them sick days, sometimes more often than their actual uh, uh, ailment, those side effects are gone. And that's what allows people to go back to work more. They also found among the age groups, age 30 to 39, absenteeism went down 15%. Which again, and that's the age, you know, where people are getting their medical marijuana cards. So again, suggests that it's the medical marijuana that's helping here. Now, this is a correlation. It's not a causation. We can't say for sure medical marijuana caused this, but all things are pointing in that direction. Marijuana, medical marijuana is helping the workplace by helping people get over their ailments, by taking away those terrible side effects that keep them from going to work. And I hope that as we continue with legalization, we do some similar research on the passage of legalization, recreational legalization, and compare the absenteeism rates of the medical marijuana patients versus the re- recreational cannabis consumers. That will give us even more insight into what's really going on. If it's just a medical issue, if we find that the medical card holders have less absenteeism, but the recreational users stay the same or perhaps get worse, that would tell us that that medical excuse is kind of making sense. That, yeah, we're alleviating a condition and we are taking away side effects and that's what's leading to less absenteeism. But if we found that the recreational users also had less absenteeism, not only would it bolster some of that medical argument, maybe these people who are recreational users are getting a relief That otherwise they'd be using medicine for. But it may also tell us that it's becoming a substitute for alcohol. We found that there's decreases in the alcohol uh, stats when it comes to these medical marijuana states as well. We found that. uh, Where's that number looking for that? Sorry. (laughs) Trying to find where that stat was. But the uh, passage of the al- uh, medical marijuana laws reduce alcohol consumption. We find the states that pass medical marijuana have less alcohol consumption. And since drinking is a big driver of absenteeism, since you know it's the hangovers they're making people call in sick on Monday, if recreational consumers show less absenteeism, it might show us that they're choosing – more marijuana and less alcohol and by choosing less alcohol we're getting more productivity as these kind of numbers come out it's going to set up an interesting sort of politics between corporations that want to increase productivity and and they don't make and some of them that don't make a moral judgment as to whether or not marijuana use is bad or good they just look at the bottom line and somebody shows them numbers that say hey Medical marijuana might increase our productivity by 8%. Hey, medical marijuana might reduce our company's health care coverage costs, especially prescription drug costs. We may be getting to a point where we start seeing not just the companies that are neutral on, you know, cuz for a long time we've had companies that have been anti-pot. Lately they've been kind of neutral on the issue. We might start seeing them become more pro medical marijuana, more explicit pro-medical marijuana stance from corporations that recognize it's in their best interest. It benefits their shareholders bottom line by reducing healthcare costs, and reducing absenteeism. I mean, it's amazing to me that I'm living long enough to see the arguments made by prohibitionists turned around and used against them. First it was what about the children? And we said, okay, what about the children? Showed them kids with epilepsy, That use CBD oil. Yeah, what about the children? And now we're getting to use the workplace productivity and healthcare costs argument against them. They're just going to run out of arguments. As we get more of this data in from National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, we start to get some of the 2014-2015 numbers on traffic fatalities. And seeing how those continue to go down even as we legalize. If we can start to show that the adoption of more liberal marijuana laws leads to fewer accidents on the road, maybe as a substitute, uh, as it substitutes for alcohol, it's just going to be a, a, a watershed day for us. We're just going to have every argument in our playbook. I'm thrilled at the idea that I'm going to live long enough to get to use these arguments that the prohibitionists have been using against us for so long. I get to use them now against them. That we were right. That when we made those predictions as far back, I remember in 2010 talking about Prop 19 and trying to get it legalized in California. And all the doom and gloom we'd hear from the cops and the sheriffs and the Project Sams of the world. And so far, everything we said, even as far back as 2010, about what would happen when we legalized marijuana has come true. No more kids are using it than they were using it before, and fewer kids are binge drinking now, and fewer kids are cigarette smoking now. We're having benefits come to us from cannabis that don't even have to do with cannabis, that they benefit prescription drug users, and alcohol users, and cigarette users. We are winning and it feels so good. <laughs> Just, it's an amazing time to be a marijuana activist. Now, thank you for being here with me as we go through this journey together. It's going to be a while before we get legalization in Kansas. It's going to be a while before we get the true legalization we want, where nobody is ever punished for the plant. And I'll be there to help you get there. Although I'm running out of voice. (laughs) I'm going to take a break. I'm going to get something to drink and we'll be right back.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
5: Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late.
4: CannabisRadio.com keeps you in the know Monday through Friday on air and on demand with Cannabis Radio News, presented with the definitive worldwide news source, the Associated Press. Stay informed with exclusive news on all things cannabis. Cannabis Radio News, live weeknights at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, during the Russ Belville Show or download the daily podcast exclusively on CannabisRadio.com, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. When breaking news happens in the cannabis industry, Cannabis Radio News delivers the details first.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabet since 2012.
3: Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp, Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com.
1: Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? You're tuned into the Russ Bellville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com.
3: Welcome back, everyone. 38 after the hour. We want to talk a little bit about adult marijuana lounges, pot clubs, coffee shops, cannabis cafes, whatever you want to call them. We need them. This has been one of the most frustrating ass, uh, facets. <laughs> one of the most frustrating facets of marijuana legalization. Getting us a place where we can smoke. It's it's funny. We, we have these campaigns. They say, treat marijuana like alcohol. And we get the public behind them. Treat marijuana like alcohol. And then we get it legalized. And the way they think treat marijuana like alcohol means is Go smoke your pot in your house and close the curtains. And don't let anyone see you. I and mean, you better own the house, damn it. <laughs> it's like it's like you know, it's like those uh, you know those laws back in the Jim Crow South, right? Oh, sure, you black people have the right to vote, but <laughs> and then they have the poll tax, the literacy test, or whatever the hell. Oh, sure, you got the right to smoke pot, but just nowhere to smoke it. If you're you know if you're homeless or a tourist or a renter you've got nowhere to smoke pot it's not legal to smoke it in public can't smoke it in the streets can't smoke it in the parks can't smoke it in the bars and landlords can ban your smoking in their place so where are you supposed to smoke it what good does it do us to have the right to purchase possess and grow cannabis if we can't smoke it and and this has just been such a vexing question and Again, it goes back to that uh, discussion I had earlier, the talk I was saying about uh, uh, how they perceive of marijuana. It, it's a deadly Schedule I drug, and it's not legal like alcohol, so it must be scary as hell. And, and they don't, for a second, question the existence of bars. And that's what's really maddening about this. Every state that's got legal marijuana has hundreds of taverns. In pubs, and nightclubs, and bars, hundreds of them, some places you can find multiples on one block, all dispensing alcohol, all dispensing it to people who some of them drove there, and we don't bat an eye, we just think, oh, well, of course there's bars, people got to have a place to gather and drink. And it just blows my mind that any society that can accept a bar with a parking lot can't get its mind around a a pot lounge. I just, what bad thing do you think is going to occur? I guarantee you there's no barroom brawls going on at the pot lounge. (laughs) There's, there's, uh, even if people are getting stoned and driving away, the most stoned of them is a better driver than the guy coming out of the bar. I've got the, I can show you the studies. So what do they think is the thing going on? What's the terrible thing? (laughs) The other frustrating thing is that we're talking about pot lounges that are bring your own bud. No alcohol allowed. No tobacco smoking allowed. Just bring your own cannabis into a room with other people to smoke. Oh God, no, we can't have that. Oh God. We told you the news earlier today of uh, Denver Normal. Their public use initiative didn't get enough signatures. But the uh, the one backed by um, uh, Kayvon Kalatbari, the other initiative. Uh, so it's Denver's a weird place, right? It's like uh, Kalatbari and, and Tvert and some other guys. Um, was it Kalatbari the first time or was it Vincente? Whatever. But th- that same group of people, they put an initiative. They were going to have a public use initiative. It got enough signatures, but they pulled it from the ballot because they thought they could work with the officials. And then in the intervening year, it turned out, nope, nobody's going to work with anybody. Just wanted to delay it. So now they're back, and this is their new initiative, this neighborhood-approved one, which would actually be a better one than the Denver Normal one because it would allow any place to have pot. You could have pot at your yoga studio. You could have pot at your museum. You could have pot at your bar, whatever. All you would have to do is get backing from your local neighborhood group. And get a license. So we'll see what happens in Colorado, at least in Denver. There are some pot lounges outside of Denver in some of the other cities that seem to be operating uh, and and not having any problems. Here in Oregon, they added uh, cannabis smoke and cannabis vapor to our Clean Air Act, completely contravening the entire setup for the act, which is whereas secondhand tobacco smoke has been scientifically shown to be harmful. We're going to add cannabis smoke and cannabis vapor that doesn't, that isn't shown to be harmful. Okay. So, you know, contravening the whole purpose of the act itself, just to shoehorn in cannabis smoke and cannabis vapor as a way of banning public clubs, as a way of shutting down, uh, the, the cannabis cafe and the other spot and a couple other places here in Portland that were, uh, you know, bring your own cannabis clubs. There's still one that's open, uh, but they have an outdoor patio. And then Washington State. Oh, my God. Washington State goes and passes a law that felonizes cannabis clubs. did this guy, uh, 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 oh, what was his name, in Olympia. Can't remember the club's name, but in, this guy in Olympia who had had his bar. For, and he had fought with the state of Washington over its tobacco smoking ban. By making his second floor a private club for tobacco, right? Well, he did the same thing for cannabis uh, and did that for a while. But yeah, Washington State passed a law that made it a felony not just to purposefully have a cannabis club like this, but to even incidentally allow it to exist. Like if you just had a regular bar and some people were out in the back patio smoking pot and you knew it was happening, bam, that's a felony. Why? Why? Why is there this terrible social fear of the cannabis club? The latest news comes from Alaska. Now I've been telling you about Alaska and it's uh, potluck events club up in Anchorage, a-, a model of what you'd want a pot club to be well lit, large, big plush couches, TVs, video games, board games, a-, a bar stocked with candy. I mean, it's the perfect cannabis lounge. Well, the latest from the Alaska Dispatch News tells us that Alaska's Attorney General, Jana Lindemuth, wrote an opinion that said that those clubs are illegal. Uh, she says, quote, if that place is not a licensed retail marijuana store, consuming marijuana there is unlawful, end quote. Now, this is an interesting quirk in Alaska's law. Alaska's law does allow For the possibility of licensed stores to have consumption. No other states allowed that yet, but your pot shop in Alaska might be able to have its own little side lounge for consumption. But since these places aren't selling pot, they can't let people smoke it. That's right. (laughs) Because people are bringing it on their own and it's their own that they are legally allowed to have and they are legally allowed to share with other people. They can't do it in a building where they're all together. Not unless that building is selling pot. (laughs) It's just crazy. So here's some of the rest of this opinion. Um, Part of it is that uh, if a business is providing, if the club is providing free samples and that club is giving samples from out that total more than an ounce, then that club is in violation of the one ounce possession limit. (laughs) So for example, um, they held an event potluck events for a, a strain debut called Arctic blue. I got to meet the grower, Dave, who grows this strain called Arctic blue. If Dave shows up and brings a lot of that Arctic blue to the club, Then he's in violation of having more than an ounce or the club's in violation of having more than an ounce. Now, if somehow Dave had gotten people over to his house where he's allowed to possess more and given each of them an ounce and then all of them went to the club at the same time with their individual ounces and gave them away to (laughs) you see how crazy this is. It's just crazy. Crazy. The attorney general from Alaska also writes that uh, if someone has to pay a membership fee to get into the club, and then someone at the club who doesn't even represent the club or own the club, but someone who's just at the club as a person, transfers some marijuana to another person because person A had to pay the money. Person A and person B had to pay money to get into said building to then transfer marijuana freely to one another. They could be guilty of delivering money for, or delivering uh, marijuana for a fee, of selling marijuana illegally. (laughs) Are you getting this? If Bob comes to my house in Anchorage and I reach into my jar of weed and I give him an ounce of weed at my house in Anchorage and I hand it over to him, that's perfectly legal. But if I join a private club where I have to pay a $5 or a $10 monthly fee to go into this place, And Bob pays a $10 monthly fee to go into this place. And we conduct the exact same sharing transaction between the two of us. Because we are in a place that we paid money to get into, that transaction becomes illegal. We could stand out in the freaking parking lot before we went into the club and trade that marijuana. But we couldn't go into the place where no one could see us and IDs are checked so kids can't get in. No, you can't do it there. How far are these people willing to go in rejecting what is so plainly obvious? We just need to have pot clubs. Now, the good news is that the uh, states that are pushing for marijuana legalization in 2016, most of them, uh, the MPP, well, I think all of them have some version of. Of the possibility of pot clubs and and how likely that is varies. Like Maine, I, I I'm pretty sure we're gonna have pot clubs in Maine. It's expressly in the licensing. California is like something like after 2020, the legislature could consider blah blah blah. But some of these some of these places are finally starting to recognize that hey, you can't legalize marijuana and not give us a place to smoke it. And the and the more restrictions and the more they keep trying you keep this horse in the barn, the more illogical it gets to the point where you're asking people to do things contrary to what you'd actually want. (laughs) Have people make legal transactions in parking lots, but not inside private clubs to have a law that says consumption will be allowed at a place that does sell pot, but not at a place that doesn't. These regulators are just going to have to eventually learn the dynamics of what cannabis consumption is all about. We are a social people. We, we have joint circles, man. We have smoke sessions. We have safety meetings. All of these things imply groups. It's not that people don't smoke cannabis on a solitary basis, but it does have a tendency to make people social, make people want to gather. Hell, all people want to be social. All people want to gather to some extent among people that have their same beliefs and their same culture and lifestyle. Well, I hope this battle doesn't take too long. Every public consumption ticket that we get because there's no place to smoke pot legally is one too many. All right, folks, I, I think I almost made it through the two hours here, although my voice is almost gone. Help! Help! <laughs> we'll take a break and wrap things up right after these messages.
1: This is The Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
5: Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network.
6: Play is Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town. Only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play.
0: It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. The
5: political climate is at a fever pitch, and the fight for the social fabric of America is set for battle this November. Tuesday, November 8th, the Cannabis Liberation Movement takes a huge step forward, and Cannabis Radio is here to chronicle this legendary moment. CannabisRadio.com and the Cannabis Radio News Team will feature wall-to-wall live coverage of all the coast-to-coast voting of state amendments. Ballots, propositions, and initiatives that will further progress the cannabis crusade. Join us November 8th for Vote 2016, The Path to Cannabis Freedom, only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
7: I opted for convenience to use my personal email account.
3: Okay, maybe you're high too.
1: Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear Do not try this at all These people are professionals <coughs> Or at least they pay me to say that. This is
3: the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com Welcome back everybody 55 after the hour, just closing up shop here in beautiful legal potland, Oregon. I can't believe it's September already. Elections are coming quickly. And don't forget that on November 8th, marijuana election night 2016 coverage will be here all day live on CannabisRadio.com. I plan on being in Sacramento at the headquarters for Prop 64. If Sacramento is indeed where they're going to be, I don't know where where their headquarters are, but we'll find that out soon. And we're going to have marijuana activist reports from every state voting on reform. And that includes not just the five voting on legalization. We got California, Arizona, Nevada, Massachusetts, and Maine. The four voting on medical, Florida, Arkansas, Montana, and North Dakota. We'll also have reports from uh, Colorado, uh, Denver on the social use initiative and other uh, initiatives related to local control. We've got local control initiatives going on in Oregon where all of these uh, Western counties that banned uh, commercial licensees have to face a vote of the people. So we'll bring you the coverage of that. I think there are some Washington uh, issues that we may need to cover not the least of which would be uh, Stephanie Viskovich running for state representative in Seattle. We've also got Carrie Boiter, her campaign running for state representative uh, in Montana that we'll be bringing you and coverage of the Northern Mariana islands. Although I got to admit, I may not be able to find an activist to dial in from the Northern Mariana islands. And, We may not cover that live because I don't know what the hell time zone that is. (laughs) I'm not going to be up all night, folks. But uh, that coverage is coming to you on uh, Tuesday, November 8th, uh, Marijuana Election Night 2016, right here on CannabisRadio.com. Well, folks, that's uh, about all the time I got for today and about all the voice I have left for today. But thanks for uh, sticking with me as I try to get over whatever the hell it was that took me down. We'll be back tomorrow with more news and interviews you can use for the cannabis community. But we will be off on Monday for Labor Day. I know, I'm such a slacker. Did I just take three days off? <laughs> we will be back on my, on uh, tomorrow with another Cannabis Radio episode for you. Coming up next Tuesday, Sam Mendez from the University of Washington on his research on children and edibles. We'll get a Hemp Day report on Wednesday from Doug Fine. And on Thursday, another great guest from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show. The Rust Belleville show is blogging and podcasting daily at radicalrust.com. You
0: take a scene, you plan it, you grow
7: it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plan it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plan it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it and it goes down school.